0: All right, are you ready for just a little bit of the Word? Just there is something I want to share and deal with. So um, John chapter 15, if you want to turn there, we're going to read a chunk of that chapter. Just a quote I made a few weeks ago was this, was, The Jesus that you perceive will be the Jesus you believe. The Jesus you perceive will be the Jesus that you believe. And the Jesus that you believe in determines the power of that Jesus in your life. And we looked over the last number of weeks, um, well, we skipped a couple, but for a little while before that um, at the great I am statements that Jesus made, those seven great I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And um, today I want to look at um, this last one, and it's I am the vine. It's John 15. I am the vine. All right, so we're going to look at this. I am the vine. Um, I said many, many times before, context is so very important, right? So if you follow the story through chapter by chapter through the book of John from where Jesus starts to make statements, um, you get here to chapter 15. And this is during the period, this is the last week, before his crucifixion. So if you look at a timeline of when Jesus was ministering, right, so he's got three and a half years. We get to the last week before he's about to be crucified. Right, we are up there. Okay, that's fine. Thanks. Um, and you see about a week before on the Sunday before he enters Jerusalem, there's great festive, there's, there's great uh, celebration as Jesus comes in, right? he's come riding in on that donkey. People gather, they're worshipping him, they're praising him, they're celebrating him and then he goes from there. The next couple of days, he goes to the temple and he speaks in the temple and he has this major confrontation with the Pharisees and the priests that are there and they get angry and Jesus is actually gets a bit angry with them. You know, and he actually pronounces another seven things. You know, John's a book of sevens. And he pronounces seven woes on them. Um, seven prophetic statements about them, about their, their unbelief in him and the way they've been treating the people. <clears throat> and he goes from there and then he tells his disciples to prepare a room because he wants to celebrate the Passover with them. Right? We all know the Last Supper. And so that's when Jesus begins this discourse about talking about himself as the vine, and he has he, he he gathers his disciples together on this last day and um and and they share Passover together. This is my body that's going to be broken for you, and he takes the bread and they eat the bread together this is This is the cup of the new covenant, right? This is the blood that is going to be shed for you. And they go through all of that and Jesus says a few other things and then he says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. You know, we know the whole story. You've probably seen it in movies, the way it gets played out. And then they get up to go, to leave. And they do what we so often do. You know, you've had someone over for dinner and you've shared the evening together, and then you get up, and it's time to leave, and you start walking towards the front door, and you get to the entry, and you stand there, and then you talk for another 20 minutes. (laughs) Right? You all do it. Robin's not there, every time she talks to her sister on the phone, it's like the first five minutes of conversation, and then the rest is saying goodbye. (laughs) It was half an hour of goodbyes. And that's what was going on. Jesus is there with his guys and they stand up. You can read the story. They stand up to leave and it's like they get to the front door and then Jesus starts this whole new conversation with them. How crazy is that? But remember, this is his last day, right, before he gets arrested. And he he wants to capitalise on this. He wants to actually share everything of his heart with these guys because in a few hours' time, he knows what's going to happen. Not only is he going to be arrested, but they're going to be challenged in their faith like they've never been challenged before. In fact, they're going to end up denying him. And so Jesus is wanting actually to impart something to them that is very, very important for them to understand. And that's the context of John 15, when we get to John 15 and Jesus begins speaking about the vine. So let's read this from verse 1, John 15, verse 1. It says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Remember, they're standing at the front door ready to leave and then he starts a whole new conversation about fruit. What? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. He goes on, and he continues to talk about just ha- just having love for one another. No there's no greater love than a man lays down his life for another person. And he finishes with this command love one another. Love one another. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's been talking to him about one thing, and then all of a sudden he shifts as they're about to leave to start talking about a vine, about being branches, about being fruitful. Now remember who these guys are—they they're Jews. They have a good understanding of vines, vineyards, you know, and vine dressers or vine gardeners and grapes and everything else. They, you know, wine was a natural part of their culture and their life, so they they were used to all of that kind of stuff. They also knew (coughs) that um, vines and grapes and all that kind of stuff that goes with that, um, they understood the terminology, that it actually had prophetic meaning. Because in the Old Testament, God would often talk about Israel about, about being a vine, about being a fruitful vine. And uh, and so they understood Jesus is not just talking about natural grapes and a natural vine. He's talking about something much deeper than that. The history, though, was one of judgment. That whenever God actually spoke about Israel as a vine, he was trying to get them to be a fruitful people, but they never were. And so it would always end up in judgment coming upon them. And so Jesus starts this conversation with him and they're thinking, Oh no, what's coming? You know, what's coming? What are you going to hit us with now, Jesus? You know, are we now under judgment just like we have been in the past when you start talking about this kind of stuff? But Jesus comes and he completely changes everything around because he says, guys, I'm the vine. It's not you. It's me. So he completely changes the whole conversation. He's saying, I'm the one who's actually able to do what you've never been able to do. I'm the one who is fruitful. You've tried, but you've never been able to. I'm the one who's been perfectly obedient. I'm the one who's perfectly righteous. My ministry to you as the vine, as the true vine, has actually now made you holy. It has made you clean. He changes everything. They've got this fear of of this prophetic terminology of being a vine and branches as being judgment, and Jesus comes along and says, Guys, don't worry. I'm going to do it all for you. I'm going to qualify you so that you can be fruitful. He says, I've got you. You haven't been fruitful. I have been and I'm going to make you fruitful. I am the true vine. I am the fruitful one. So what does that mean? What does it mean for us? Because everything in scripture pertains to you and I. right? It's not some historical thing 2000 years ago. It is. It pertains to you and I. So what does this mean for you and I, folk? is that God's desire is for you and I to be transformed into the perfect image of Jesus. Not just that we are saved, but we are changed to be like him. That we have been made 100% righteous and perfect, just like Jesus is, and therefore you and I are going to be fruitful just like he is. Amen. It's not just that our spirit has been made perfect, but God wants our soul, our mind. And that is a process that takes time for transformation to to occur within you and I. We are no less saved. You're 100% saved. But, folk, we're on a journey of becoming like Jesus. What does that mean? Sometimes there are adjustments that have to happen take place in our life in terms of our attitudes and our actions. Let's be honest, none of us are perfect. You are 100% perfect in your spirit, but none of us are perfect in the way we think, in the way we speak, in the decisions we make, in our attitudes towards different things. None of us are. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means that we can expect some pruning. Hello. We can expect some pruning. We can expect God to actually come and remove. If we're going to be transformed into his image, what does that mean about the stuff that isn't his image? That doesn't represent him well. That stuff is actually going to be taken out. How does that happen? God comes and he prunes. Look at verse 2 says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now there's two aspects, there's two truths here that I think are very important for us to understand because I think by and large Christians have been taught this portion of scripture wrongly. And I want to just take a little bit of time this morning and just bring some clarity to some stuff that I think confuses people and brings condemnation and guilt upon people and fear out of this portion of Scripture. And I think it needs some clarification. You with me? Verse 2 is almost always read or interpreted with verse 6. Let's look at this. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then verse 6, and this, we, we, we tend to read these together. It says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and are burned. So what's the picture that gets taught? What do we have that gets developed? What what develops in our mind when we read those verses? What is usually taught? It's this, is that if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not being fruitful in your Christian walk, what is God going to do? According, according to what is generally taught, according to just a surface reading of these scriptures, God's going to cut you off and he's going to throw you in the fire. And so how does that get interpreted? Well, the fire gets interpreted as hell. So if you're not living up to God's standard, if you're not producing fruit in your life, what does this say? God's going to cut you off. He's going to throw you in the fire. How does that make you feel? Who feels encouraged? We ready? Right, meeting closed, let's go home. That's not a very encouraging word, is it? Imagine if, if, if these disciples, this is the last thing Jesus says to them. Put yourself in their shoes. They're standing at the door, they're about to go. Jesus is no, knows what's going to happen, they don't. And he, and, he, and he has this conversation with their understanding of what the vine is and about judgment. And now Jesus says, hey, if you're not fruitful enough, guys, if you're not staying in me, you're going to get cut off and then you thrown into the fire. You're, you're finished. You're dead. You're burned up. And then they leave from there and Jesus gets arrested and the threat comes to them of being arrested and killed like the the soldiers want to do with Jesus, and then they start denying Jesus. Can you imagine why they ran away in fear afterwards? Can you you begin to realise why they were so reluctant then to actually seek Jesus out afterwards? They were afraid. They thought, we're finished. God's going to cut us off. They're done for. That's what was in their mind and that's what gets taught all over the place that if you're not producing, God's going to cut you off. And so what happens? We take those two verses, we combine them, we get confused, fear and condemnation comes. You know, I've got to be producing more, I better be doing more for God. You know, I've got to get things right. And the devil comes along And he makes sure that you keep thinking about that stuff all the time. And he'll bring up other verses. Things like, you know, where it says, um, you know, if you deny Jesus, he's going to deny you. And those verses where it says, uh, you know, you come along and you said you did all these things in my name, but depart from me, I never knew you. Right? That's the stuff the devil comes and brings up all the time in your thinking. Well, what was Jesus really saying now there is a reality folk, for those who utterly deny Jesus deny who he is there, there is a reality that a day is going to come where they're going to be standing before God and they have to give an account of their life. There's only one thing that's actually going to save them, and that is faith in Jesus. That's whether they've received Christ or not. Everyone who rejects Jesus, who rejects his salvation, there is going to be a day where they will be judged, where they will be cut off from the opportunity of salvation. There is a day that's coming that is going to be like that. But guess what? That's not for you. That's not for you. So what is Jesus saying in verse 2 about being cut off, about being pruned? Let's look at it again. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What does it mean to be more fruitful? It means you already were fruitful, right? It means you already are fruitful. And then Jesus, he, he, he makes this statement that just seems totally out of place. Why does he then say, I mean, he's talking about fruit. He's talking about being fruitful. He's talking about being connected to the vine, not being cut off. And then he says, uh, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. What has that got to do with anything? Doesn't that seem out of place to make that statement right there? Seems pretty strange to me. Until you discover that the word prune, which is the word catharo, It means to purge or to cleanse, to make pure. And so what is Jesus saying? He says, guys, I have already pruned you. I've already made you clean. I've already made you righteous by the fact that I've spoken my life giving words to you and you have chosen to believe them. And so something's already happening with you. I've already made you fruitful, but I want you to be more fruitful. I'm going to help you. I'm going to keep working within you, transforming your life, allowing my words to continually wash over you, continually cleanse you, continually change you so that you'll be even more fruitful. Folk, like the pruning that Jesus was talking about here is one of being made righteous and holy and pure and clean. That's what it is. He does it. You and I can't. We can't purify ourselves. It's because of his blood. It's because of his righteousness. It's his gift of righteousness that has come to us. His sacrifice. And so he says, you are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. My words have brought you life. They've already begun to transform you. So any kind of pruning is Jesus saying, I'm going to transform you more and more into my image. It's to make us more fruitful. More fruitful, which means you are already, as Dionys just said, we are already fruitful. Just as you are already clean, you have already been made fruitful. You see, when you chose to believe, you know, Paul talks about the fruit of salvation and we come up with big long lists of saying, okay, that means I must do this and we've got our checklist of all the things we have to do to try and prove that we're saved. Just the very fact, you know, there's one thing you have to do: believe. That's it. That's it. Fruit of salvation: believe in Jesus. <laughs> what is repentance? Change the way you think about Jesus. And Paul talks about the fruit of repentance. What is that? It's the fruit. It's belief. It's faith in. Jesus, it's not a long list of religious do's and don'ts. And that's the problem. When we think it's a long list of things I have to now start doing all the time and then we go through our checklist and we say, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that, what do you end up with? In your mind, unfruitfulness. So where do you go? I know I'm going to be cut off. It's why we've got a whole bunch of people walking around in churches fearful of the future. Because they're fearful of standing before God one day thinking, I'm not, I, there's no way I can measure up to be fruitful enough so I know, what's, I know what's coming, I'm going to get cut off. And it's an absolute lie of the enemy. It's a lie of the devil that keeps people bound. It's terrible. The fruit that comes out of this is his righteousness in us, folks. Right? So what about the cutting off part? If the pruning is not something to fear, the pruning is actually talking about the work of of the Holy Spirit in us and the ongoing continual flowing of the the power of Jesus' blood cleansing us continually. What about the cutting off stuff? Verse 2 says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. So it will be more fruitful. The word cut off is the Greek word ahiru, and it does not mean to cut off. It's a bad translation. It's a really bad translation. And we've got everyone thinking, I'm going to get cut off, I'm going to get cut off, but it doesn't say that. It actually says, I'm going to lift you up and bear you up. Doesn't that change everything? So people for centuries, they've been living under this threat. Man, if I'm not producing what I think God wants me to do or what the what churches and pe- you know, religious people tell me that I have to be producing all the time, God's going to come along and cut me off. I'm finished. And he never, ever said it. <laughs> he never said it. He says, guys... I'm gonna come, I'm gonna lift you up. And I'm gonna strengthen you. And actual fact, what it means is the, the vine dresser, the gardener would come along, and when he would find branches that were that had um, <clears throat> been damaged in the wind or had become too heavy and had 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 bowed over and they were in the dirt. That's not a place for grapes to grow. In the dirt. So he would come along and he would lift those branches up, and then he would tie them to either a wire, that's how you see it done today, to a wire, but they would tie them to a stake, or they would tie them up to a, a stronger part of the, of the trunk of the vine so that they could see the sun again, get the sustenance that it needed, and begin to bear fruit again. And that's what Jesus said. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. The branches are attached to the vine. My arm is attached to my body. For Jesus to come along and say, guys, you're just not making it. I'm going to cut you off. It's amputation of part of him. Paul makes it clear, you are in Christ and he is in you. So why would God ever come along and now just suddenly slice you off? He would be cutting off part of his own being. It makes no sense at all. And so when we understand what the word actually means and what Jesus was really saying, saying, guys, you're going to come under some challenges. and Some of that is going to actually... You're going to feel like you pushed down into the dirt. But I'm going to come and I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to lift you up. And all the stuff that was weighing you down, all the stuff that caused you to go face down into the dirt, that's the stuff I'm going to prune. Snip, snip, snip. I'm going to take off that stuff. Because that's the stuff that's been weighing you down and stopping you from being fruitful. Because you know what? A vine is naturally fruitful. A branch, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It is naturally fruitful because it's connected to the vine. Doesn't that change everything? And so for all these people who have been living with this fear of man, one day God's going to cut me off because I'm just not producing enough. It's a lie that's come from the pit of hell that has kept so many people bound. That it needs to be dealt with. Comes, He lifts us up, lifts us up, ties us. To something that is strong. Who? Himself. <clears throat> Isn't that good news? Uh, time's gone way, way. Let me just put this up. 1 John 4, verse 15 says, Anyone who confesses or acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, he lives, and makes his home in him. And that person abides and lives and makes his home in God. Who? Anyone who confesses Jesus. It's that simple. Why do we complicate the gospel? Why do we make it so hard for people to live free? Why do we make it so hard for them to actually live fruitful? Because we weigh them down with a whole lot of religious protocols expecting them, hey, you've got to do all of this stuff to be fruitful. And it's just weighing people down in, instead of actually just going back to the truth of Scripture. Whoever confesses, whoever acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. You are already in the vine. And God is not going to come along and cut you off because he would be cutting off himself and that good That's, folk this is the good news of the gospel. it is so simple how do we ever miss it how do people miss it when it's so simple <laughs> it's eating from the wrong tree it's eating from the wrong tree so what does it mean to be fruitful? Let me just put this one last scripture up and then I've got to stop. The fruit of the Spirit is... Call it out. Uh, no, 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 sounds like a school room. Okay. Uh, I have to finish this in one minute. <coughs> you can read that and you can look at all of those different things love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control da, 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 da. and we can make a checklist it, it, I'll guarantee that's what most of us do right, we've got our little boxes am I loving enough Or am I joyful enough Am I patient enough? No one in this room is patient enough. Right? Or joyful enough. Right? And so we interpret those things as being the fruits, plural, of what we have to produce if we're in Christ. Right? Isn't that how your mind thinks? Right? Right? But the fruit, one fruit, you see that? One fruit, but the fruit, one fruit of the spirit is, and then Paul describes what it's like. What is the first one that he says? Love, everything flows out of love. So we're not trying to produce a whole lot of different things. If you have love, you've got everything you need. Who is love? Jesus. And if he's in you, love dwells in you. You have a natural ability to actually produce a whole lot of other things that come out of fruit. One thing, love. God is Love. And so how does Jesus finish man I've so much more I want to say to this? How does Jesus finish that John fifteen little discourse? He says, Love one another. So he's talking about he say, Guys, I'm gonna lift you up, I'm gonna cut off all the stuff that is actually weighing you down, so that you can be naturally fruitful you're not trying to produce anything you are going to be naturally fruitful and this is what it's like love one another and if you get that right if you can just get that one thing right man, all of these other things are going to start flowing through your life and then jesus says an amazing thing he says guys if you do all these things your joy is going to be complete and yet sometimes we make loving other people such a hard chore You know, and Jesus says, "Man, it's just a natural thing if you just keep trusting in Me." Amen. Man, there's so I feel like I'm nowhere near finished on this, but our time has already gone, so I have to stop. But at least you've got, at least I've given you something, and hopefully. Enough to dispel some of that fear that so many people have lived with that, that God's going to cut you off because he never will. He says he will never disown you. He will never discard you. Not even the devil can pluck you out of his hand once you're in Christ. And as we read this morning, all of those Psalms that actually were encouraging us, want to encourage us today, Just let your mind stay in that place of security. I am in Christ and nothing can take me out of his hand. Which means he is going to produce his fruit in me naturally. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to strive. I don't have to try. I just have to learn how to rest. Amen. And so that's my prayer as we leave, as we actually take these next two weeks off, is that we all learn how to rest in Jesus and trust in him. Amen? Remain in him. Remain in him. What does that mean? It just simply means just keep trusting. Live in that place of trust in Jesus. Amen? Bless you, wonderful, one. one, four, one four.